this is a ridiculous thing to say, but um, I'm even wondering whether I should say this out loud. But no, no, she's please. Learned how to, she's learned. She's learned how to say more treats, please. She says <laughs> motifs, <teats> beach. <laughs> <laughs> love it and i keep saying i should get a tattoo of it but you know i, I won't i won't <laughs> that's so funny two guys talking about their babies and supporting their ladies talking about the struggle talking about big papa Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Hit him, Pierre. Welcome, welcome back, back, welcome back, welcome back. Oh, yes. Season three in the place to be. It's Big Papa's. I'm Dan Worry Smith. I'm Pierre Hamilton. Welcome back, y'all. Yeah, but this ain't Cotter. It's a whole other show. Nah, nah. No, nah, no. <laughs> this is the show for modern dads. You know what it is? We are back in the studio. It's season three. It's it's good to see you, Pierre. It's uh, it's been a little bit since we hollered at these listeners. Uh, yeah, it's been t- it's, it's it's about that time though. It's indeed, about that time. indeed, it is. You're still a father of two, I assume. I am. I am. Unless no tragedy. Cha- yeah, has unless something you. unless something has changed in the last fifteen <laughs> uh, minutes. <laughs> what a what a funny topic. Woo. Um, how's everything going? Uh, you know what? It's really good. We're just uh, if you remember way 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 back when in season one. Uh, we had a guest on uh, named Andrew Addison. He was talking about uh, he was on the subway and he he saw a woman. He was with his uh, his young son and uh, the woman said, "Oh, uh, how old?" And he was like, "Oh, you know, like two months." She's like, "Oh, you're still in the ninety days of darkness." Uh huh. So we are just about to emerge from the ninety days of darkness. I think it's actually this weekend. Nice. Yeah, and we are seeing some rays out there of sunshine. They are they are coming in. They feel good, but we're all just both. We're Jess and I are very very tired. Uh, again, I got to give Matt shout outs to her. She's been doing a rocking job. Um, and uh, but the family overall is doing well. Zadie right now is just chilling with my grandparents. That's how we were able to make this. Uh, my, my grandparents. <laughs> I should say her grandparents. <laughs> right. right. Uh, if it was my grandparents, they she'd be in a grave right now. Again, that's it's, it's too it's too it's too dark. A fun place it's to too, hang for a dark. child. <laughs> it's too dark. But uh, other than that, I think we're doing well. We're we're good. What about you? There's you know we've we've there's been some news. Yes, you're right. So uh, we told you in season two, or I told you that Zoe and I are expecting uh, our second kid. We're about uh, Zoe's halfway into the pregnancy right now, and we had the anatomy ultrasound last week and found out we are expecting a boy. So following in your footsteps, Pierre, the like perfect that. nuclear family. Cool. And uh, and then we out. So you're going to name him Desmond Miles. Follow my footsteps, that would be a correct term. <laughs> that would be following directly. No, naturally we're going to name him Kawhi. Ah, yes. <laughs> that was yeah. a name that we considered. As we we considered that. I don't blame you, man. I'll, there's got to be some little Kawhi boys out there in Toronto, right? Uh, especially if they were born before he decided to sign with the Clippers. Yeah, absolutely. You know what was great was that when you uh, when you sent me that message, because I remember we, we saw each other and I was like, hey, do you know yet? And you're like, no, no, but I think it's actually next week. And then you sent me a message text message and you're like hey here it is and you actually was there's a clip from maury right the 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 classic like right here it is it's yours the gender reveal it's a gender reveal (laughs) and i was like oh so nice yeah it is mine i can uh pretty confidently say that uh the boy is mine oh Uh, (laughs) that was a great that was great I mean, I don't know if we're gonna have to. Who's that? Was that uh, was Monica, that Brandy and Monica? Brandy and Monica. And, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Team Monica personally. I think yeah, I, the boy I throw, was hers. I, I mean, I, come on, I throw it out to Brandy. No. 
<laughs> That's why you get both perspectives here on BPs, y'all. Uh, you're getting it all. Well, good to be back with you here, Pierre. Um, we're going to be doing things slightly differently uh, this season of Big Papa's. Uh, over the next six weeks, you're going to hear off the top of the show, both Pierre and I uh, kind of discussing maybe a bit of the theme of the episode and just catching up on, on some things that are going on in our lives. Uh, because Pierre is still just emerging from these 90 days of Desmond's darkness, uh, busy with two kids and busy with working a lot of stuff, I'm actually going to conduct uh, our interviews this season on my own. So that's going to be the structure. That's how you're going to hear it. You're going to hear from both of us, and then and then I'm going to jump in with our special guest. And that starts today. We have a guest who's an expert in uh, technology and how human beings um relate and deal with the digital world. And so I wanted to kick off this season with a little chat. This is something that we've danced around uh, here and there before, the idea of how do we approach media and exposing our kids to the digital world, to screens, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, anyone who knows me knows um, I, you know, I am fairly active on my Instagram account, uh, but I don't post pictures of Goldie's face. Uh, and that's a decision that Zoe and I came to. Uh, we never have. I, I think there was one photo that Zoe posted when Goldie was maybe a day or two old. And, you know, she looks like a, a little lump and that's up there. So if you want to request to follow Zoe, you can see that one photo. And I love to post photos, you know, just kind of in general. Uh, as my approach to that kind of thing when it comes to Instagram I think of it as a bit of an artistic outlet so you know on the occasion that I post something I like for it to look kind of cool and that's kind of how I think of it um, and so Goldie does work her way in there as far as having pictures maybe of her back or something else that's, that doesn't show her face um, and obviously you know I like to see uh, content that other people post whether it's a friend like you Pierre or like family my cousins and their kids or you know brothers and sisters and and their kids uh, it's always nice to see that stuff but I kind of always felt from the beginning like a we don't know where these platforms are going as far as uh, the data that's collected and you know what is the ownership of this content look like and how will these platforms evolve and where are we going to end up with them and also just the idea of consent and the fact that Goldie isn't in a position to say like hey yeah it's cool for me if you post my image um out on the internet. And, you know, obviously there's a bit of uh conflict maybe when you think about the fact that on our show here you and I are talking about things that are pretty personal uh, so even though it may not be an imagery thing you know people can tune into Big Papa's and hear me talk about some pretty intimate details about Goldie's life so anyways that's you know my philosophy has been like I don't want to post the picture but I also it's not like I feel like hey I've got this thing totally figured out or you know everyone should be doing the thing that I'm doing um, but that's just kind of where I'm at um, um, do you have an, an approach uh, that's concerted or, or how would you describe just kind of maybe what's naturally happened for you when it comes to uh, to your kids on social media? Yeah, I don't think uh, I mean, <clears throat> having worked in sort of marketing communications and, and social media specifically, uh, I share some of those same concerns. I, I think. For us, it just never really flipped the same way. And so, I mean, while I still know, you know, I don't, you know, 
10 years from now, they could be like, hey, there's two Zadies out there and one is, one is living this other life that is like completely made up and fake uh, because her photo is out there. Um, it just wasn't something that I think was as stuck in our heads. I right. think, you know, for us, the technology tip was really about, I think, making sure, you know, off the top, they say really kids aren't supposed to have screen time for the first what, a year or a year and a bit. And so I think we try to, you know, hew, hew to that uh, as close as we could. Even now, it's a bit of a struggle. She does love certain shows. And you find when you're dealing with a three and a half year old that the second you're like, hey, we can watch a show, cool, one show, it ends. And, you know, there's a little like mini meltdown because, oh, like, yeah. well, I want another episode. And yeah. you're like, I told you it was one. So for us, I think that's been more of the struggle, right? It's that balancing act of like, how do we use this technology in terms of a show that she might watch, which will get free us up to take care of Desmond or to just get a moment to sit back and relax. Um, that's been been more of the stretch for us. But I hear you. And that's a very, you know, it's a very interesting thing when you think about it. Um, we were talking just before we started recording about all the deep fake stuff, right? Being able to like take images of somebody and create a video of them that seemingly looks pretty real. The garbage ones of like Bill Hader turning into Al Pacino. I'm like, did somebody spend a lot of time on that? Because if they did, it looks pretty convincing. And I would hate to see what someone who with a lot of money and a lot of time on their hands would be able to do, right? Well, we're going to see it. Yeah, absolutely. Stay so, tuned. I mean, I think the other thing is, is that everybody really has to find something that fits for them. I think that's, you know, we've talked about it a lot on the show, but I think that's a good idea. And maybe just trying to be aware of what's out there, right? If you're going to make that decision, then maybe it's just best to be like, hey, I'm cognizant of the fact that this is where this is going. And this is something that may be an issue down the road. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the other thing I, I would quickly mention, because I did it just the other day, was... Zadie has an email address. I set it up. Sometimes I just send her little notes or right. she has a little like a, she gets like a little wrap up from daycare and I'll sometimes flip it to her and, and, and our family and just say like, hey, look at this cool thing that Zadie happened to do today. Um, and then this weekend or this past week, I set up an account for Desmond and I noticed something different when I was setting this up was when I added his date of birth, they were like, oh, wait a second. This is a kid's year. This is a kid. You got to attach it to a parent and that now comes with specific control. So you know what? Despite Google being a, a hoover for all information and data and doing who knows what with it, yeah. I think that that's at least putting some control back in the hands of parents. And I think that's an important piece to this this conversation. That's good to know. Yeah, and I mean, the idea of, oh, we don't know what's going to happen to this information, like, it is so unknowable. And maybe even the people who work at these companies, aside from the ones whose job it is to look into the future, like, you know, maybe they don't even know. Um, and that's why, for me, you know, like I said, there is a bit of a conflict. You know, like, I do use these platforms, and I... Uh, Facebook, I can't say I enjoy all that much. I might use it mostly for work and because Messenger is a way that I communicate with a lot of people. Um, but something like Instagram, like I said, it's to me, it's it's like an artistic outlet and it's just an easy way. To, oh, I saw something that I thought looked cool. I shared it with people. And then, of course, get that dopamine hit for yeah, all those yeah. double likes, clicks, likes, 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 likes. Um, so, yeah, you know, it is kind of a vague concept of this sinister future that's being crafted by all of these big tech companies. Um, and I... I, I certainly don't think of it in any way, any type of judgmental way of people who are sharing with their kids, you know, and those kind of experiences. And, um, 
you know, it, it's so beautiful to be able to, c- to connect with that stuff. And that is the the huge strength of these platforms is that they do keep us all connected. Um, I always love being in touch with people aside from just being a parent. And it's there are people that I get to keep in touch with just because of Facebook. You know, people I went to camp with, people who live in New Jersey or whatever it might be, like where I really would be out of touch otherwise. But because the effort, uh, you know, doesn't need to be made to just say like, oh, you know, Dana's online. I can say hi to Dana and check in and see how her kids are doing you know um so there is there is so much to it um and i think we're gonna get a really interesting uh and useful look into all of that type of stuff with our special guest today uh pierre i'll catch up with you again next week let's do it and uh listeners stick with us i'll be right back to chat with ramona pringle on big papas All right, it's Big Papas. It's Dan coming at you. Today we have a very special interview. I am chatting with a creator, storyteller, educator, and researcher focused on the intersection of technology and the human experience. It's Miss Ramona Pringle. Hi, Ramona. Thanks for being with me. Hi, I'm so excited to be joining you today. Yeah, really appreciate it. I, I, I must admit, I lifted that intro from your LinkedIn, but that's a really beautifully written sentence <laughs> to describe what you do. You know what's so funny about LinkedIn? Um, I always feel anxiety about LinkedIn being out of date. So it's nice that you say that. One of my colleagues has said, uh, you know, he's got a great line about you never want to hire the web development company who's got the best website because it means that they're not busy. They're spending all their time, uh, you know, fixing up their own website. And I, it gives me so much, (laughs) makes me feel so good because I feel like I never have the time to make all of my public facing accounts um, uh, up to date. But well, there you that go. feels like it's probably the topic of this show. Welcome to life with kids. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so your daughter is is almost two years old. Uh, and you, um, aside from a lot of the other work that you've done, you, you do a lot of writing for the CBC. And I wanted to start uh, with a piece that you did last November titled, Parents Are Giving Tons of Their Kids' Personal Data Away and the Long-Term Effects Aren't Yet Known. Um, this isn't the only piece that you've done kind of exploring this type of subject matter, uh, but this one really stood out to me as I was doing some reading recently. And a little quote from the article just to get us started. On average, parents will post more than a 1,000 images of their children online before they're old enough to have their own social media accounts. And by 18, those kids will have created upward of 70,000 posts themselves. This is chilling. And uh, I know you've been looking into this kind of research and this has been your field for so long, but I wonder now that you're a mother, has your perception of this kind of information changed at all? Absolutely. I mean, I think um, it's changed in a, in a few different ways. You know, I'm very conscious of sort of what I share about my daughter and how and how often. At the same time, you know, I have a lot of I think in some ways I have more empathy uh, for parents than I did before I had a kid. You know, when you don't have a kid, it's easy to say screen time is bad and never post photos of your child. But there are emotional factors and social factors. And once you're a parent, you totally get it. Your child is so cute and they're doing all these amazing (laughs) things. And you want to share it with the people that you love. And the reality is, you know, it depends which platform we're talking about. But, you know, we curate who those communities are and we want to share this is you know the best project I've ever made and if it was uh you know a commercial project or if you know it was something that I had made 
I wouldn't think twice about sharing it. And here it is the thing that I may be most proud of. And I, I always, you know, I've, I'm, I'm, I will tell you, I must have like 80,000 photos of my daughter on my phone. Right. <laughs> she is over-documented. I can relate. And, and I always want to share them, but I always sort of stop myself from doing it. And so, so it's almost like since becoming a parent, my perspective has changed in two ways. One in which, um, you know, I think I'm more conscious of my behavior and I am very kind of, um, I'm always, I, I, I always have a, that kind of critical lens when I'm thinking about my behavior and what I let her do and what I post of her. Um, but at the same time, you know, the realities of being a working parent are such that, uh, and, and being digitally connected is such that, you know, sometimes you're going to put a screen in front of them because you just need two seconds of sanity or you need to send that email off to your boss or something like that. Yes. You know, that's to, in terms of the screen time conversations and in terms of the data, it's just, you you want to share this with your community. So, uh, so I think that my perspective has changed in two ways that almost create more conflict than anything, right? The <laughs> conflict has only gotten greater. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I have a million pictures of my daughter Goldie and, um, my wife and I've decided not to post photos online, which is something that we're really comfortable with, but I actually really love being able to see pictures and updates about, you know, friends, kids and, uh, you know, like my nieces and nephews and stuff like that. So it is definitely a, a bit of a push and pull as far as how can you feel about this stuff? And I guess, you know, the goalposts are kind of always moving and we're always learning more. And well, I, this sorry, is go just ahead. It. So, uh, you know, what I'll add is from that article that you you're mentioning, uh, that was from the UK Children's Commissioner. Right. Um, I, I think that's the, I think that I'm, I think I'm, I'm detailing the organization, right? Uh, it's been a year, but I come back to it quite often because their warning uh, was that the kids growing up today are essentially the canary in the coal mine. And that, I, I said that, you know, you, t you talked about it being chilling. To me, that was what was so chilling is, is, you know, how much is unknown. And if you ever told us in any other circumstance that we were treating our kids as the canary in the coal, the proverbial canary <laughs> in the coal mine and, and, you know, sending them to test out dangers and kind of heed those, you know, for the rest of uh, the rest of the civilization, that's what's so concerning. But the reality is we fixate on social media as if this is an Instagram issue. We've got, you know, facial recognition everywhere you go, whether it's Big Brother or all the millions of little brothers, right? Everyone with a smartphone is enabling this sort of era of facial recognition. Our data is being collected everywhere we go. Our phones, our maps of, you know, uh, um, every, you know, every time um, our phones get pinged in different locations, it's creating maps of where we go. They were talking about transit cards being able to record information, right? There's so much information beyond just what's being posted to social media that I think where it can sometimes feel, I don't know if demoralizing is the word or just overwhelming is, is sometimes it can feel like it's, it's the cat's out of the bag, right? It's out of our control. Um, the ship has sailed. <laughs> what are all the metaphors I can use here? But it is a much bigger, it's, it's very easy to always come back to putting the onus on parents. And that's, I'm not sure the right response, right? It's not just about shaming parents who want to post photos online because this issue is much, much, much bigger. When we're talking about them being the canary in the coal mine, it's not just about the decisions their parents are making. It's about infrastructure and institutions and uh, sort of just how networked our lives have become and how reliant on data our lives have become. That's that's it's so interesting. And uh, I, I think it, you know, really 
good point to make to not try to shame parents or to have them feel like, you know, this is all something that's so heavily weighted toward whatever their decision might be. Um, and yeah, man, I, I don't know how you do this work and, and don't get overwhelmed by it or, you know, maybe mm. you do. Um, but it's just so it's it's kind of mind blowing. And to imagine just the way things will continue to evolve and grow is so interesting. And like I said, chilling in its way. Have yeah. you have you thought about what age might be appropriate for your daughter to have her own social media accounts? You know, here's what I've thought about um, with relation to that. Uh, I'd like to keep her off all of it as long as I possibly can. I think, you know, it's to me, it's not just about data. I think it's also about cyberbullying and self-image and sexuality and a lot of those other issues where um, where I want to be able to be involved in some of those conversations. There's, there, there's, it's, it, it's there's a lot of other uh, reasons that, you know, I, I want to keep her away. <laughs> yeah. But I also have to say you know, the world changes fast. And sometimes I feel like, you know, are we just, you know, is this a Betamax issue, right? Like, are we, when we're talking about Facebook and Instagram and social media with our kids, sort of, you know, is it the equivalent of, of us talking about Betamax tapes, which are totally irrelevant to us now? Like, by the time my daughter wants to use one of these platforms, uh, which I'm assuming, like, I don't know enough about kids you know, who are older than toddlers, but I'm assuming it's going to be at least like eight or nine before she would be pushing for it. That's still, you know, six or seven years away with everything that's going on with these platforms right now. I don't know that I'm confident that that's exactly the debate that we're going to be having in a few years. I think it's continually going to be shifting. No doubt the, prob the um, sort of questions and challenges are going to be equally, uh, equally difficult for us to grapple with, but I don't know that I'm convinced that it's going to be, you know, the negotiation over whether I let them get a Facebook or an Instagram account. Yeah. The, the, I know it seems at least in conversations that I have with people and maybe some things that I've read as well, that maybe there's a bit of blowback happening against these kind of platforms and the idea that, you know, with the data mining or just with some of the stuff mm -hmm. you mentioned, like peer pressure, social kind of norm mm -hmm. type of stuff. Do you think it's possible that there's maybe a major shift in the other direction coming or might that be wishful thinking for someone who, who feels that these platforms have kind of an ominous feel to them? I think it's a bit of both. I mean, I definitely think the pendulum always swings if you look at generations, right? And if we, you know, we as parents think we're really cool. <laughs> we're still <laughs> young enough that I think we are cool. But with every passing year, we become more and more entrenched in parentness. And whether that's where kids want to spend their time, uh, you know, is greatly up for debate. Right. <laughs> Uh, and so there's that. Uh, I still come back to this issue that, you know, we cannot just talk about social networks being the be all and end all of this, that in terms of the pendulum swinging, there may be more and more concern, but it's much bigger. It is about the fact that everything from medical records, you know, everything becomes digitized and commodified. And, you know, when we're starting to talk about digital cities and, you know, here we are in Toronto and everything that's been going on around sidewalk labs and you know, there's controversies around facial recognition being used in the software that summer camps use and daycares use so that they can tag photos and send them to their parents. And of course, parents want that. Of course, they want to see photos from their kid at the end of the day. Yeah. But these issues are so, so, so much bigger. Um, I, I know that you want this conversation to go in a specific direction, but there's something <laughs> that we were talking about a couple minutes ago that is really where I've been spending a lot of time thinking recently. So I'm going to 
just jump back to it for a Absolutely. second. Not to derail the conversation, but no, this is it. When you were talking about um, not shaming parents, I think it's one of the things, and, and maybe how my perspective has changed since becoming a parent. I think it's one of the things that I think about a ton is, you know, the difference between reports and research and sort of best practices versus reality of people's lives and um, issues related to privilege and access and what people, you know, just, just sort of empathy in the reality of people's lives. And so where I'll say this, I know we've been talking about data, but the other big issue with kids is screens. And there is this big, uh, you know, sort of the the big elephant in the room has been the fact that Silicon Valley executives don't let their kids use the very devices that they create, right? Like that was the big thing uh, with Steve Jobs was that his kids weren't able to use that iPad or any of those tools. And that feels very telling, right? Like that feels like it is a warning that the rest of us should heed. Then I've written about that and talked about that extensively. But there's also a part of me that thinks, and this is where I say, it, these are bigger conversations than just talking about the social media platforms. I also think they're bigger conversations than just talking about the devices and can my kids spend time on these devices because it's too black and white and it leads to judging the end user as opposed to dealing with the bigger, the sort of bigger, more complex social issue of uh, uh, that we're trying to deal with. And so he here's where I'm going with that is if there's a single mom or a sing any kind of single parent and they're raising their kids and they pick them up from school or they pick them up from daycare. But meanwhile, we know anyone with a smartphone, like you're getting emails from work and you're getting emails from the bo your boss almost around the clock now. And you're trying to make dinner and you're trying to fold the laundry and you're trying to do all these things. And you will put your, uh, you know, iPhone with Netflix in front of your kid for half an hour, just because there are certain things you need to do that yeah. are, that feel like they're tied to survival. This is where I sp I've been spending a lot of time thinking now because I don't know that the right response is to say that it's to shame that parent or is to say to that parent, you're doing harm to your child. Look, Steve Jobs wouldn't do this and he created these things. So obviously he knows all of those things are right. And yet that's not the solution. And so the, there are bigger solutions that I think or there's bigger issues that I think we need to be talking about, which have to do with, you know, when do we disconnect for the day, you know, when uh, at the CEO level or the executive level, setting the the pattern whereby there aren't uh, there is the expectation of being offline from work after a certain time, right? There's these the the sort of when we talk about how it takes a village to raise children, I think when it comes to our concerns about digital behavior, really, really takes a village as well, because it's not necessarily just about to put the screen in front of the kid or not to put the screen in front of the kid or to post that photo or not to post that photo. It's all the other ways that those issues are magnified or that they exist uh, that don't have to do with the kind of obvious ones that we hear about all the time. And that's where I think the village comes in. Um, but I think we don't necessarily talk about empathy enough. And it's always an issue when we put the onus on end users as if it's our responsibility to take down Facebook or to, you know, get these companies to, to behave in different ways. It's bigger than that. It's their boards, it's government, it's executives, right? Like there's so many other pieces to this puzzle. And so I'm really, really, really um, sensitive to, to the challenges that parents deal with. It's hard to do it all.
I like how you preempted that piece with almost like an apology for a digression because it ended up being the most interesting thing that we that you've said so far. Um, do you obviously your daughter's still pretty young, but are there uh, routines that you implement in your home life that kind of address the idea of unplugging or trying to to make sure that there's not too much time spent on a screen or connected digitally? Oh yeah, I mean, oh gosh, I feel. I'm so self-conscious of this, right? It's always kind of like, do as I say, not as I do. I spend way too much time on my own phone. I've yeah. got, I've got a screen issue. And so, you know, she walks around and I think this is what, I think this is true of very, very, very many toddlers, but she walks around and like anything she can pick up is a phone. The, uh, <laughs> the remote control is a phone. The remote for the fireplace is a phone. A canister of lipstick or a tube of lipstick is a phone. Like every a piece of broccoli is a phone. <laughs> and uh so i know that's not to do with screen time but really i mean again we're mirroring these behaviors and that was another article that i wrote maybe even the year before that was um in fact i think that i wrote this before i became a parent was if we want if we're so concerned about screen time we need to be conscious of our own behavior right but this is where I say, you know, the reality that sets in once you become a parent yourself changes your perspective a little bit. And maybe my empathy has has uh, has evolved in all of this. My daughter does. Um, she'll watch programs that we select on uh, Netflix. Right. I I'm conscious not to really venture too far into YouTube just because we know that we know how things slip through the cracks and oh. that we don't necessarily always know what we're getting there. So scary. Written, I've written about that also. Um, she probably spends maybe 15 minutes a day, sometimes on weekends, maybe half an hour a day when we just want to sleep in a little bit longer in the morning. Um, I, I think for me, what I know is she loves watching TV, but she also loves books, right? I can, she would be happy if I spent four hours every night putting her to sleep, reading books. She loves horses and going to the park and her little bike and, I think that to me, the issue is, you know, it, it's like having a healthy balance, right? Look, I like chips and I like chocolate and I like junk food, but it's only a small portion of m- my overall habit. And so I think that there's something to be said for moderation and, you know, all these, you know, you know how you always hear like, oh, if you never, you know, if you never let a child have this thing, they're just going to want it more. And, and I sort of am of that camp. I think there's very, very clear research on the effect of, you know, screen, the detrimental effect of screens on the development of kids. And so we need to be conscious about it. But at the same time, you know, trying to keep it out of your house entirely is, is a little bit unrealistic. And I think it does make parents feel even more pressure or guilty when that's not the goal. The goal is to do the best job in raising our kids and be happy and have a healthy relationship to all of these tools. So I don't know, even when I say 15 minutes a day, that's not necessarily even true. I think, you know, it it may even be less than that. But to me, it's always offset by knowing you know, how much of these other things that we're doing of, of, you know, reading books and playing outside and that ultimately she loves all of those things. And I think the concerning piece is when, um, when one overtakes, when what, you know, when her desire to be staring into that screen overtakes all those other things and, and that's not the case. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think all kids, I mean, assuming you start when they're really little, you read them a book or you play a game or you go outside and you look at, you know, the grass or an animal or a tree or whatever it is, all kids gravitate toward that. So the idea of being able to keep them connected to those experiences uh, and trying to resist uh, the technology side as much as possible, I'm sure would be really valuable in any kid's life. Um, you know, one thing I, I should say, my husband and I were having a question just this last week, we were talking about this, about how, um, you know, we both watched Sesame Street and how much repetition was on Sesame Street. And so we have started, you know, one of the things about uh, the internet is that there is so much content. And so it feels like, you know, every time you open up Netflix, there's another great show. There's the Care Bears. There's this thing. There's that thing. And so we've recently started um, trying uh, trying an experiment whereby we're repeating the same show uh, and even repeating the same episode. Uh, and again, you know, I it, it's it's not that much time that she's actually spending watching them. But in terms of you know just sort of what our little strategies or hacks might be, that's something that we're testing out. Is I actually think there's a ton of great educational content in a lot of these programs, um, but instead of it just being lights and color and, and, you know, stuff that's kind of going in one ear and out the other, let's repeat it enough so that it's actually having some kind of value. Yeah. Uh, there was a, there's another really interesting study that came out in the last year or two that was talking about how kids learn. Right. And when they're watching a cartoon, it's so, um, you know, it's so much sensory overload that they're not absorbing what's happening. And they, this was a study that looked at audio-only um, books and animations, like cartoons. And so it was sensory overload, those cartoons. Audio-only, they couldn't keep up, right? They don't have the vocabulary to be able to fill in the gaps. Whereas books, you know, beautiful, beautiful books, ode to books. And I will say my daughter loves them. I love <laughs> that she loves them. I love them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they have the images that kind of help them along and they can fill in the gaps. So that's really interesting. And I think that, in a sense, that's informed how we're trying to deal with screen time as well as trying to deal with those issues of that sensory overload and say, okay, well, if she is having this, uh, engaging in this way, how do we, um, you know, how do we at least make the best of it, the most of it? All praise to the books. This is a yeah, lot, totally. a lot for our listeners to unpack here. Uh, I want to take a quick break and I'll be right back with more Big Papas. All right, I'm chatting with Nicole Austin, the founder of Nama Mama. Uh, today, we're just going to get a little intro to you, Nicole, since this is the first time your listeners will be hearing from us. I wonder what inspired you to start this company? So when I was pregnant with my first daughter about three years ago, I was looking for products that were all natural, had really short ingredient lists, things that I knew when I looked at the list, and that were safe to use on my baby. And I just found, when I was looking out there, I didn't see anything that I really loved, and so I took it upon myself to just kind of learn how to make products, go to some workshops, learn about different flowers and herbs. And throughout time, I just created the balm and the oil. And I tested it out on myself and on my daughter. And I saw great success. And I started giving it to people when they had babies. And they all loved it. And that just kind of made me realize that, hey, I should get this product in more hands. And this is something that you continue to produce on your own? I continue producing it on my own. It's all handcrafted in Toronto by me. 
Nama Mama is on a mission to help families live better, healthier, happier lives by handcrafting all natural artisanal products for Mama Baby and the whole family. Check them out at namamama.com. That's N-A-M-A-M-A-M-A. Don't forget to use our promo code for 15% off at checkout. That's Big Papas, all caps, one word, promo code, Big Papas, Nama Mama. It's the bomb. We're back. It's Big Papas. I'm chatting with Ramona Pringle. All right, let's get away from all this sinister technology stuff. Would you, Ramona, describe for me just kind of in general what your parenting philosophy is? Hmm. I mean, I think to it's so easy. I think this is what's such a joy about having a toddler, but I think to inspire awe and wonder in the world. Um, I am, you know, an educator and I have been in school or in a school in one way or another for basically my entire life, either as a student or a grad student or as a, you know, now as a professor. Um, And so I love to see her learn. I think that's the most exciting thing. But that kind of awe at the world, um, it's really what makes being a parent so incredibly rewarding because we get to go through that, right? We get to see things through their eyes and see things that we may just kind of have become, uh, you know, a little bit blind to just because of the routines of our lives. So I think inspiring joy and or awe and wonder, and then I think joy and uh, and then just trying to just trying to just trying to give her the most time that I can uh, amidst you know life is life is busy, but I think uh, you know carving out that time so that we all have a lot of time together is has been a big piece for me. For sure. What's been going on recently uh, in your daughter's life that has excited you or maybe surprised you or just what's been notable? Where's she at right now? Well, she's just started daycare um, and she really likes it, which is great. Nice. And I'm trying to think what else is going on. She's talking a lot, which is really cool and really great. And I think that that's the other, um, you know, I think parents who have been through this all kind of recognize that other people come over to our house and have no idea what she's saying but I know exactly like I know she has this massive vocabulary that only my husband and I really understand so that's (laughs) that's really fun is our sort of um our sort of uh um hidden language that's (laughs) a fun time this is like this is a very this is a ridiculous thing to say but um, I'm even wondering whether I should say this out loud, but no, no, she's please. Learned how to, she's learned. She's learned how to say more treats, please. She <laughs> says motif speech. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> and I keep saying I should get a tattoo of it, but you know, I, I won't. I won't. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, what uh, What are you looking forward to as a parent? Uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing who she's going to become. I mean, that's really been the most the most amazing transition in the last year from baby to toddler has been to see her become a human, right? Her to have an identity of her own. And I think with language that comes about even more, um, you know, my cousin the other day who spends a lot of time with us was saying like, this is a modern girl and nobody is going to mess with this girl. <laughs> and oh, I love that, right? That makes my heart just oh, yeah. sing. But 
but I think to see that come to life, right? Just to see who she's going to be as a little kid and to see who she's going to be as she goes on through the world is is pretty exciting, right? Like they go from being your baby, which is your thing, yours, to being their own thing. And that's um, that's pretty cool. Thank goodness there's still a little bit of time before you have to let that yes, go, Yes, right? thank goodness. <laughs> and let's it's a gradual process. Let's just slow it all down. <laughs> That's right. Wouldn't that be nice? Um, do you have a favorite memory of being a mom? Oh, I love, you know, I don't know that I've got a specific time that I would say. I love, more, like, I love when I can take a long morning with her. I loved us just being in our pajamas in bed together. Yeah. I've loved it since she was a brand newborn. I love it now. Um <laughs> You know, so if she crawls in at four in the morning or three in the morning, I don't really mind because I actually secretly love it. So I think that that might be my favorite thing is just, you know, mornings when everyone isn't just rushing out the door, but where we can take a little bit of time to just chill and just hang out together. That's great. I also love watching her fall asleep. Yes, of <laughs> course. nothing like a sleeping baby. Of course. My my daughter, Goldie, you know, she'll ask to come into bed with us every now and then. And it's, you know, usually we hesitate a little bit because it means none of us are going to sleep nearly as well. But it is uh-huh. the most wonderful experience. And especially she can uh-huh. be kind of not cuddly. But on the times when she is cuddly, it's really, I mean, it's just magic. And, you know, you talk about slowing things down. You just think like, oh, I could live in this moment forever. There's nothing sweeter than this moment. Totally. You know? Um, I, I will say, you know, we, my husband and I are off always, we've got this like weird, I don't know if it's algebra issue that we're trying to deal with of like, how does this child who's not even two take up a king size bed? Like, oh, yeah. how does she do this? Yeah. A lot of kicking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, we're, we're almost out of time here. Uh, but since, uh, this is a, you know, a podcast that's kind of driven toward the dad experience. I wonder if you could tell me, are there things that your husband does as a dad that you find particularly impactful? Absolutely. So, um, my husband does middle of the night stuff which is amazing. And yeah, ever since, you know, she was, I I nursed my daughter, but once, you know, we were past that time, um, he took over. (laughs) And I think it was just like, I don't know. I don't know how it came about, but so that's our, that's our pattern. That's amazing. I really love it. I really appreciate it. He also makes me a latte every morning, which is amazing, which has nothing to do with his fathering but certainly <laughs> you know speaks to his nurturing yeah um he's super playful i mean i think i she was she was identifying items and books at a very early age and i think it's because he had this amazing curiosity and was always kind of going through those books together and one day just pulled me into a room i don't know how she, how old she was but she was little and said, hey, look at this. And, you know, she could identify everything that he was saying in one of those, um, you know, sort of alphabet books with the pictures of beach balls and trees and everything. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, you know, my husband's a, a game designer and so very playful and curious. Oh. And uh, and I think, you know, he brings that to parenting, which is which is really, really cool to see. It's really it's it's a joy to see the way that he parents, which is very similar to the way that I parent. But we're different. You know, we're different. And so. It's always really neat to see to see what he does, but she adores him. Game designer. We may have to get him on the pod at some point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ramona, this has been so enlightening and interesting. I know that our listeners are going to get so much uh, out of this chat that we had, and I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to be here on Big Papas today. 
Oh, it's my pleasure. It's been super fun. Thanks, Dan. Great chatting with you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Big Papa's. Please take a moment, if you can, to rate and review the show. It goes a long way and will be much appreciated. Big Papa's Season 3 is recorded at Audio Process in the Lynx Music Studios here in Toronto. Our engineer is Trey from We Create Media. Our theme song was written, performed, and recorded by Matt Warry-Smith. Our logo was designed and produced by Hannah Warry-Smith. Big thanks to our exclusive sponsor, Nama Mama. Check out their line of handcrafted, all-natural artisanal products for mama, baby, and the whole family at namamama.com. And don't forget to use our promo code to get 15% off your purchase. Big Papas, all caps, one word. We'll see you next time.